Hello, and welcome to the Virtue Podcast. My name is Melanie Brown, and I want to start by asking you a few questions. Have you ever started a project that got distracted and never finished it? Are you prone to procrastination? When faced with difficult circumstances, do you get discouraged and tend to give up or give in? If you can relate to any of those questions, I think you're going to be encouraged by today's message. We're going to focus on the first eight verses from the book of Haggai, chapter 1. When I read this first chapter of Haggai, I was shocked at how relevant and timely it is for today. I also wondered how in all the years of being a Christian and doing Bible study that I wasn't familiar with this story. I needed my table of contents to find this tiny book of the Bible. It's easy to skip over because it only has two chapters, and it's sandwiched between two Zs, the books of Zephaniah and Zechariah. Haggai is considered a minor prophet, not because what Haggai had to say is minor or less important, but because the book is shorter and the content is more narrowly focused. If I'm honest, I think I've always shied away from this midsection of the Bible because the minor prophets always seemed a little confusing to me. There are accusations being made, warnings given, judgments and promises that are both historical and prophetic, and I just wasn't sure how it applied to me. So with all that being said, or rather confessed, let's jump into the story together and allow God to teach us a few things about himself and also show us how this passage relates to us today. Haggai was a prophet, which meant he was God's mouthpiece. He would speak to the people on behalf of the Lord. It was never Haggai giving his opinion as a man. It wasn't a personal message that he was delivering, but rather the Lord Almighty talking through him. The Lord Almighty is the title ascribed to God. It's translated the Lord of hosts or the Lord of the armies of heaven. When something's repeated in scripture, it's for emphasis, so we need to take notice of it. I counted 12 times that it was the Lord Almighty that was speaking through Haggai. So Haggai's message is delivered with the authority of God. What was the message that God had for the people of Haggai's day that we can learn from in our day? There are several themes and lessons running through this small book. Here's a couple that stood out to me. Haggai calls the people of God to rebuild the temple, to put God first, and to keep him central to every part of life. The message for us today is that we also need to focus our lives on what really matters, which is the Lord. Haggai calls the people to consider their ways, and it's a reminder for us to reflect on how we're living. It's also a call to repentance and obedience. There are so many more, and I hope you add your thoughts during your small group discussion. For the purposes of our time together, I want to hone in on three personal lessons we can learn and apply today from these passages. The first point is don't be discouraged. At the beginning of this story, we find out that a remnant, which means a small group of God's people, had returned to Jerusalem after having been exiled. They were scattered, dispersed, and taken captive to other countries as a consequence of their sin and disobedience. If you look back at Deuteronomy 28, it will give you the whole backstory. But God, in His mercy, moved in the heart of a pagan king and allowed the people to return to their homeland to rebuild their lives, which meant rebuilding the temple and returning to worshiping the Lord. When they returned to Jerusalem, the people did start to rebuild the temple. 
the foundation was laid. But then, fierce opposition came, which caused the work to come to a screeching halt. The building project just stopped. Perhaps they reasoned that they'd rebuild when things settled down or when circumstances became more favorable. But 16 years went by. That's a lot of time to have passed, and the people became apathetic and indifferent. They continued to live their lives without God as their primary focus. Instead of building the Lord's house, they became preoccupied with building their own homes. So Haggai comes with this message from the Lord telling them, it's time to get back to work and build the Lord's house. They were called to rebuild the temple. I think to understand the story, we have to understand the significance of the Lord's house or the temple. This is where God chose to manifest his presence and to display his glory. It was the place that he said he would dwell, giving his people access to meet with him. It was to be a sacred building dedicated to worship. God has always desired to dwell among his people whether it was at the tent of meeting in the wilderness or the grandeur of Solomon's temple. We have a God who draws near to us. We see the fulfillment of what the temple represents as we look to Jesus, our Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. 1 John 14 says, The Word, which is Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So the Lord desired to dwell among his people. And in the people's defense, they had started to build when they first arrived back in the land. But opposition caused them to stop. Their enemies did not want them to complete what God had called them to do. Can you relate? Sometimes disruptions, difficulties, or delays can make us so discouraged and disappointed that we give up. I've heard it said that the enemy has many tools in his tool belt to keep a Christian from fulfilling their purpose. But by far, the most effective tool is discouragement. If he can get us discouraged, he'll render us ineffective for the kingdom. Let me ask you a question. How do you deal with discouragement? Sometimes we mistakenly think that trials or hardships must mean that we're not in God's will. And in some way, that dismisses or discharges us from what God has called us to do. Actually, I believe it's learning to persevere through the discouragement that will ultimately build our faith and cause us to complete the task set before us. There are so many passages in Scripture that remind us that life is hard and that we're not supposed to be surprised at the fiery trials that we go through as though something strange were happening to us. Paul encourages his young protege, Timothy, to endure hardship and to fulfill his ministry. As a wiser and more experienced believer, Paul knew very well that with open doors of opportunity also comes opposition. And I think this is a really good reminder for older believers who have been through some things to be intentional about encouraging younger believers to endure. Galatians 6.9 tells us, Let us not grow weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. The scripture is sometimes misquoted or misapplied. It's not saying that it's wrong or sinful to get tired. God knows that we do. He knows that we're but dust. But rather it's saying, don't get so weary and discouraged that you want to give up. Our weariness should not stop us from worshiping. Because there is a promised reward for perseverance. Has something in your life come to a halt because discouragement has stopped you in your tracks? 
Perhaps you're feeling the nudge of the Holy Spirit to get back to what He's called you to do. If you've grown weary praying for your prodigal, start again. If you're despondent about a situation in your life that you don't see change yet, keep trusting the Lord. If God has called you to do something or start something, but fear has crippled you, activate your faith. Maybe you have good intentions to make a necessary change, but have procrastinated. This is your reminder to redeem the time. Whatever it is that God has called you to do, do it. Continue, keep going, and finish well. If you're feeling discouraged today, can I offer you some practical help? Encourage yourself in the Lord. Speak truth over your life. Claim God's promises. Remind yourself once again of the things that you know to be true of the Lord, that He's good and that He loves you, and that He's able to make beautiful things out of our messes and mistakes if we surrender them to Him. Pour out your heart to the Lord. The psalmist modeled this for us. It's okay to lament and to be honest before the Lord. He can handle every emotion we might have. It's okay to feel your feelings, acknowledge them, but don't put your trust in them. And certainly don't make any important decisions when you're battling discouragement. Feelings of discouragement can fluctuate and be deceiving. Instead, put your trust in God and dwell upon Him and His character. Practice gratitude because that can reroute and override your feelings of disappointment. When you feel discouraged and wish that someone would speak a good word to you, but it's not coming, you be the one to reach out and encourage someone. What you would want someone to speak over your life, you speak into someone else's. Proverbs 11.25 says, Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. When you're discouraged, you may just need to take a nap, have a chat, or go for a walk. These are practical things that can really help. Sometimes we just need to rest, talk things out, or take time to get perspective. Personally, I feel like the Lord is stirring in me the desire to up my encouragement game. I want to take it to the next level. I'm praying that He would fill my mouth with words He would want me to speak to build others up, to use my resources to bless. Because everybody needs encouragement. Even if they look like they have it all together, we all need a good word of encouragement. And I want to be intentional about supporting the people that God has placed in my sphere of influence and to be their loudest cheerleader. Haggai is a cheerleader of sorts. He says, um, I'm going to loosely paraphrase, but he says, okay, people, it's time. Get up and go back to work. God has called you to build his house. Now do it. So our first point was, don't be discouraged. And our second point is, don't be distracted. It's so easy for us to lose sight of what's important, isn't it? We have so many distractions that compete for our time, attention, and energy. We must be deliberate about keeping the primary purpose in life always in focus, and that is to know God. Knowing God means having a relationship with Him, worshiping, loving, living our lives in connection and dependence on Him. Haggai repeats the exhortation for God's people to consider their ways. He's basically telling them, think about what you're doing and how you're living. It's a call for self-examination. Another way of saying it is asking, where's your heart at? What are your priorities? I heard someone say once, if you want to know what your priorities are, 
Look at what you spend the majority of your time and money on, and that will tell you what you prioritize. They were very much consumed with their own pursuits, living in their beautiful paneled houses, while God's house was in ruin. Haggai had to point out their futility and the consequences of their choices. They were planting but not producing, eating but never satisfied, drinking but still thirsty, putting on clothes but unable to keep warm, working hard but never having enough wages, and God was trying to get their attention. This portion of Scripture reminds us of what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 32 and 33, where he says, Don't worry about what you will eat, drink, and wear. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. The enemy of our souls still uses this tactic today. He wants us to be so preoccupied with the temporary trappings of this world in order to distract us from the eternal things of God. You know, in my mind's eye, I was trying to imagine what the people might have been thinking or rationalizing year after year. Because they saw that the foundation of the temple had been laid, the stones were there for all to see, and they knew they had more work to do. I wonder if they thought, well, I'll get to it later. I'll start tomorrow. Maybe they said, I'm not saying no to God. It's not that I'm not going to do it. It's just that I'm not going to do it now, not yet. I've heard it said that delayed obedience is actually disobedience. And I wonder if they just got used to seeing the unfinished work and perhaps it just started looking normal to them. You know, I have a silly analogy to share. When my adult children moved out last year, I decided I was going to do a refresh on my house. I admit I didn't think it through in detail. I just cleared out all the rooms in my house and I got rid of everything. I justified that I needed a blank slate in order to reimagine how I was going to redecorate. So it's been exactly one year. One year has gone by. And although I've done a lot, I can look around my house and there are walls that are empty and still need art hung on them. There are headboards that need a bed and bedding, and there are outlets that need new switch plates. And to be honest, I think I've become used to the unfinished work in my own home. This story has stirred me up that I need to finish what I've started. You know, God wants you and I to consider our ways, to think deeply about how we are living and what we are living for. We build careers, we build families, we build our physiques, we build our influence. And these are not wrong or sinful pursuits in and of themselves if they're kept in their rightful place, which is secondary to our one primary pursuit, which is the Lord. God wants to have preeminence in our lives, which means first place above everything and everyone else. So how can we build God's house? Let's talk about it in two ways. We know that God's house is the church. He established it. We build God's house by supporting it financially, by loving it, speaking blessing and goodness, by praying for it, by participating in it, by using our gifts, talents, and abilities, and by inviting others to be a part of it. We're not a closed group. We want others to belong. These are ways we can physically and tangibly strengthen and fortify God's house. The other way we can think about God's house is personally. We know from 1 Corinthians 6.19 that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is within us. We build God's temple by feeding our souls through Bible study. It's what we're doing right now. It's by prayer, repentance, and obedience. So we are not to get discouraged 
We are not to be distracted. And our third and final point is we must be diligent. Point number three, be diligent. God gives his people instructions. In verses 7 and 8, we read, Consider your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. A second time, God is telling us to consider our ways. The Christian life is one of self-examination, which is meant to lead us to repentance and obedience. When we have an awareness of how we're living and realize that we're not in alignment with God, that we've sinned and missed the mark, it draws us to the God of mercy and compassion and forgiveness. That's what our brokenness is meant to do. God wants us to confess our sin, not to condemn or shame us, but in order to forgive and get us back on the right track. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. God gives the people a prescription. He tells them what they are to do. What the Lord is requiring takes effort, time, and intentionality. That's what it means when he says, go up to the mountains and bring down timber. Climbing a mountain takes energy and requires steps of action. Cutting wood and carrying it down is time-consuming and laborious. We, too, must also get up and do what God has called us to do. I needed this reminder personally. Sometimes I expect that serving the Lord is supposed to be easy and always convenient. And when I say serving the Lord, I don't mean it in a super spiritual way. Raising our children is serving the Lord, and it can be hard. Being submissive and kind to our husbands takes effort. Being a godly example at work could be challenging. Reading our Bibles and praying sometimes feels overwhelming. But God is pleased and desirous of our obedience and our worship. Let's remember that blessing is on the other side of obedience. Let's close our time in prayer. Lord, thank you for your word that encourages, instructs, convicts, and challenges us in the best ways. We don't want to neglect what you've called us to do. Keep us from being discouraged, distracted, or preoccupied with our own personal pursuits. I pray that you would help us to be diligent to keep you at the center of our lives. Would you stir up our souls that we would desire to be obedient for your glory, God? Lord, we worship you. And when we worship you, Lord, our eyes are lifted to the things of heaven. and We're not so captivated by the things that are so temporary on this earth. Father, we love you. We bless you. And we thank you for this time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.